0: Today, we conclude our series called Seven Letters. And in this series, we've been looking at the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Uh, Seven letters were written or spoken by Jesus to John and recorded and given to us. And each of these letters was sent to a different church. And so today, as we conclude, our letter will be to the church of Laodicea. The church of Laodicea, the last church that Jesus addressed. This will be in Revelation chapter 3 and what we found in these letters are they are still speaking to us today. They're still relevant to the church of Jesus Christ alive and well 2000 years later. They still have a voice because the Holy Spirit is, is active in making the word of God active and sharper than any double-edged sword, right? And so they still have a voice to us today. And we're, as we go through uh, these different churches, we're hearing what God is saying to us. Faith Chapel, to the Church of America, to the Church of Jesus Christ across this world, and to us personally. And, and hopefully we're in a place where we not only hear it, but we respond to it. We hear it and we respond to it. So today, we're going to look at this church in Laodicea. Laodicea is a church that's located about 95 miles from Ephesus, which was the first church that Jesus addressed, the first church in our series. Um, But it's also uh, located slightly south from Philadelphia, the last church that we addressed. It's also nestled in between two cities, Hierapolis and Colossae. Colossae is a little bit more familiar to us because the book of Colossians was written by Paul to this church. In fact, in Colossians, you'll find the city of Laodicea and the church of Laodicea addressed four separate times. Um, there's actually a, it's, there's belief that there's a lost letter that Paul wrote, and he said, uh, "I believe it's in the last chapter of Colossians." He said, um, "Read this letter." Colossians, and then send it to the church in Laodicea, and they likewise will do the same. They'll send a letter that I wrote to them to you. Now that didn't end up in the scriptures, but Paul was very active in encouraging and challenging and, and uh, exhorting this church, Laodicea. And so um, as, we, as we look at this church, uh, I just want to start off by talking about the city as, as a whole. The city was a very, very wealthy city. It was was known for its banking. It had um, uh, a very, very prominent um, medical community. They were known for their eye salve, which was something that was used to put on people that had gone blind and helped restore their sight. They were also known for black wool, which I'll talk about a little bit later. Um, Very advanced in architecture, very advanced in in engineering. Um, There are houses that were found that were... 3,000 square feet in size, just to show. Now, that's not as uncommon today as it was back then, but they were very advanced, very wealthy. These houses had plumbing and, and running water inside the houses 2,000 years ago. It's amazing. Now, Laodicea, interestingly, was not, they did not have a water source, and so they had to pipe water in. And they used this aqueduct system, uh, inverted siphoning, which I don't even know what that means, but uh, I'm sure we could look it up someday and figure it out. They used this aqueduct system to bring in hot water from Hierapolis, a city about five or six miles away. And this Hierapolis had hot springs. And so there was hot springs and hot water flowing, and they piped that water into Laodicea. Okay? Okay. Um, so therein lies one of the things that Jesus talks about. In fact, Jesus is so amazing. When he writes to these churches, he speaks to them right where they're at. He addresses things that they were 100% totally familiar with. He gives them analogies and metaphors to help them to relate the things that they uh, were accustomed to day by day. And, and uh, um, uh, identify them spiritually like things that would help them understand Um, spiritually, the condition that Jesus was seeing and trying to address. So let's get right into this this passage. We're in Revelation chapter 3, and I want to talk about three key areas that Jesus speaks about to the church of Laodicea. In fact, this is one of the churches that Jesus has nothing good to say about. He only addresses problems. There's only one other church like that of these seven, and, and so Jesus typically, in the format of these letters, identified a praise, something that he could commend the church for. He identified a problem, and then he moved on to a promise. If you overcome, this is what I will do for you. Well, here in Laodicea, he, he skipped the praise. He found no praise, or he mentioned no praise And he identified some problems. So we're going to get right into that. We're in in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. It starts off by saying this. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write. Wow, there's some anointed preacher back there somewhere. I'm hearing it. Now, thank you. I, I didn't mention this, but... We are on Facebook, we live stream, we welcome our live stream audience, and if you share that message, we are leveraging technology to allow many more people to see and hear the gospel message. So that's what you were hearing just now, okay? No big deal. He says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the amen. This is a name for God, actually, that's, that comes from Isaiah, Um. I don't have the actual reference, but if you do some research, you'll find that he's called the Amen or in a roundabout different way. It's translated a little bit differently in in Isaiah. But he's called the Amen. The Amen is known also as like the final word. Like we we pray a prayer. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this food. Amen. It, It means true. It's the last word. It's the agreement of what's being said. And Jesus is truth. Amen. He brings truth. He, stands, he is the word of God. So he's the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Now here, Jesus begins to address this church, Laodicea. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're a lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now that is not a pleasant greeting. That is not a good start to the letter. If I received a letter from Jesus like that, I knew I would know uh something's. I I I need to change some things. We have a problem. We we have a problem, and he's going right after the problem. So I want to talk about this. What is the problem? What is the problem Jesus is going after? What is the problem Jesus is is trying to address? He says, "Because you are lukewarm, you're not hot. You're not cold." You're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. What, what is, is the problem that, that Jesus is trying to address? Now, most people teach in, in Christian circles that there's really, Jesus is addressing three spiritual temperatures, if you will, or conditions, hot, cold, and lukewarm. Um, th- that's okay. Hot meaning, you know, on fire for God, passionate for God, going after the things of God. Cold meaning no spiritual temperature whatsoever. And lukewarm meaning somewhere in between. Now, the context doesn't necessarily support that. The context is addressing something that the Laodiceans were very, very familiar with. Their water issues. They were piping water into their city. It started off hot six miles away. When it got to them, it was lukewarm. Okay, now... um, that, that is a problem, okay? One, one time, a few years back, we had this coffee maker. Now, I like coffee. I drink coffee. Um, someone will tell me I'm addicted to coffee or whatever, like, but I'm not addicted to coffee, okay? I'm actually I'm not, I'm not going to be drinking coffee for the next 21 days starting on the 2nd of um, January. Well, he we had this coffee maker, and I would get up and make coffee, and it's sort of part of my routine in the morning, and wait for that hot cup of coffee, but there was a period of time where I, I made the coffee, it made the ding, 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 dun sound, and I poured my cup, and I drank it, and it was lukewarm, and I'm like, what in the world is happening? It's brown coffee, it's... You know, I didn't pour any, uh, you know, any creamers in it to make it cold. It was just, it was just not hot. And I don't know if you, some people like lukewarm coffee. You have a cup of coffee sitting there. Two, three hours later, you just drink it and it's fine. That is not good. I mean, we've got to talk about another problem, okay? (laughs) That is a problem. So, um. I didn't know, so I made another pot, and I'm thinking, you know, maybe, maybe something happened, but wouldn't you know it, the coffee was still lukewarm, and, and I just dumped it out. It is not worth drinking, okay? It, it's not worth drinking. It was horrible. The, the heater element in my coffee pot had gone, and so I threw it out and had to buy another one. But um, for coffee lovers, you either have iced coffee or you have hot coffee. You don't, you don't have lukewarm coffee. You don't have lukewarm coffee, so I can relate, to a degree, what Jesus is saying—that um, this this hot water was once hot, and now it's lukewarm. And hot water's good, and cold water's good, but lukewarm water, after it's distributed miles and miles and miles, is not good. So I, I read this as saying, and even in my research, I read this as saying. You would want hot water or you would want cold water, but lukewarm is not good. Okay? It, it's, it, it's just not going to do uh, for you what you would want it to do. It's unpleasant. You take that first sip and it's unpleasant. And then you start complaining. And then, you know, and Jesus is saying this. You're like that to me. Not you, Faith Chapel, but you, Laodicea. It's 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 unpleasant. It's unpleasant to look at you and, and see the way you're living for me. It, it's unpleasant. I, I just want to spit it out because it's horrible tasting to me. This is, this is what Jesus is saying very strongly. Your church is like that to me. Now, another way of describing lukewarm is room temperature, right? What do you have to do to get something at, to room temperature? Nothing, right? Nothing, but there's, there's effort necessary to get uh, water that is not hot, hot. You have to heat it, right? You, you have to heat it to get it hot. There's, there's effort necessary to get water that is not cold, cold, right? You either have to put it in the refrigerator or add ice to it to to make it cold. There's, there's effort associated with it, but, but lukewarm is it's, it's a do-nothing uh, it's just you just let it be room temperature and it's going to be lukewarm. You just you let it just sit there and you're going to get you're going to get lukewarm out of whatever you're trying to deal with whether whatever substance or liquid that you're trying to deal with. So in this context the lukewarm Christian is someone who has become just like the environment around them. He goes on to to share that. We, it's, you, you don't have to do anything. You just, you just become what's around you. And, and in doing so, you're not impacting anything. You're not impacting your world. You're being impacted by your world. Right? This is what lukewarm Christianity looks like. And so the lukewarm Christian has a lukewarm Jesus. They, that's what they want. They want, a, they want a Jesus that doesn't press them too hard. They want a Jesus that doesn't challenge them to change. They want a Jesus that doesn't call them to higher places because they're just comfortable being where they're at. That's lukewarm Christianity. So a lukewarm Christian wants a lukewarm Jesus with lukewarm expectations. I don't really want much from you. Show up to church every once in a while. Do your thing. You know, it's okay. I'm happy with you. Or he would say this. I would spit you out of my mouth. That's, that's hard to accept. That's hard. It's challenging. But this is what he's saying to that church. He's saying that this to that church. And so lukewarm Christianity keeps Jesus at arm's length. You know, it, it keeps Jesus far enough away not to have not to have a, a, a significant impact on him, him or her. I'm going to keep Jesus far enough away so he doesn't impact me. I mean, I'll do this religion thing, but I just don't want to go so far. You know, I I don't want to go all the way in. Uh, I'll have this, this appearance of Christianity. And no one really says that, but it's their actions that say that. You understand? And so so Jesus is dealing with this church and he's calling it lukewarm. He's calling it, Uh, He's saying there's a problem. Now in verse 17, so he identifies the problem, and then he gives their perspective. Look at what he says in verse 17. You say, you say, I am rich, I've acquired wealth, and I don't need a thing. You say that. But you don't realize, indirectly he's saying, but I say... You don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you become rich and white clothes to wear so that you could cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. So so their perspective was the perspective of a lukewarm person. I've got everything I need. Check out our church. Our church is beautiful. It's the most stunning church. We're, we're set on a hill. Uh, we've got all the famous stars coming to us. We don't really need anything, um, you know. Uh, we're no, no, uh, notorious or known for all the money and the prosperity we have. We, we're, we're good. Jesus is saying, "That's what you're saying about yourself. You're, you're comfortable. You're independent. You're secure." In your position, you've got it going on. You're the one, you're the church that everyone wants to go to. You know, you got the fog, you got the lights, you got the best of the best of everything, and, and you have need of nothing. This is their mindset, their position. This is what you say. But he has a different thing he's saying. Because as we've noted through all of these letters, Jesus sees things differently. Jesus sees things different than we do. He looks past the facades. He looks past the things, the showy things that, that, that we try and put on, um, you know, to impress people. This is why even in the Sermon on the Mount, he's like, stop going around with your long tassels and praying and, and stop Telling people you're fasting and and stop doing this and that. And stop letting everyone know how much you're giving. That is a show. We don't need a show in Christianity. We need authentic, true Christianity. Christianity that is based on transformation. That's based on the power of God. That's based upon the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what we need. And so Jesus is saying indirectly to them you don't really need me. I mean, in your mind, you say, I've got, I don't need anything. I've got everything I want. I'm rich. I'm independent. And I just want to note that Jesus said in John 15, he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. You you can do nothing. So this was a do nothing church that had all the impressive stuff going on. It looked great. It had the popular, the powerful, the rich people there, but based upon what Jesus is saying, this was a do nothing church. You're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked spiritually. Now interestingly, Jesus has a way of tying things into the, to the experience of everyday life that these people, these people lived. They, they knew about gold because they were one of the richest cities they were so rich that on two separate occasions, the city was decimated by earthquake. And they denied any help from Rome to restore their city. They said, we got this. They didn't want any money from Rome. They were so rich that they de- de- didn't need help. They, they just, they, everything was taken care of because of their money. That was the mindset. And this is what Jesus says You say you're rich. I'm saying you're poor. It's a different perspective. It's a a different perspective. Because they were looking on the outside. Jesus is saying, as I look into your soul, you're poor. Your pockets may be full, but your heart is empty. You may think that you have it going on, but you really don't have it going on. You're a lot more deprived and desperate than you could ever realize. This is what he's saying to a church that called themselves gold. And he goes on to say, called themselves rich. He goes on to say, I, I, I encourage you or I counsel you to buy gold that's been tried in the fire. And, and what this says to me is it speaks of riches from a depth of relationship that we have in him. I encourage you, instead of this 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 outward appearance of riches, I encourage you to grab hold of something that's more meaningful, a depth of relationship with me. Read through the book of Ephesians, and Paul tells these Ephesians how rich they truly are because of their relationship with him. He says, grab hold of something that is more meaningful, that will definitely last, and will do something positive for you. Gra- buy some gold that's tried by the fire. So he says, uh, he said they were poor. He also said they, they were naked, which in that day and time would have been an ultimate humiliation. Because the only the poorest of poor were naked. Now I mentioned that they were uh, a big time producer of black wool from sheep. So much so that they, they produced high end jackets and coats and clothing. In fact, they, they had the market, they had the market corner. They had the designer label. You know how you walk around and you see like Canada, what is it called? Canada what? Canada Goose and, and you see Gucci and you see Nautica and you see all these amazing the, you know the logo displays and you're walking around like look at you know I'm I'm a bigger, better person because of the clothes I'm wearing. Well they had this this label called Laodicea original. I'm just making that up. I'm just, I'm just making that up. You're like, really? I mean, did they really? Was there, a, was there a business there or something? No, but he said, you're naked. And they're walking around in all this prominence. And, you know, I mean, people would come to buy this this black wool. People would come to to purchase it. And they were clothed in splendor. And Jesus said, Really, you're just, you know, you may think you, you look great and you're wearing the best of the best, but you're, to me, you're naked. You, you, you've, got, you've got nothing. And nakedness in the Bible, you'll see five times in the book of Revelation alone, Jesus talks about, or the, the scriptures talk about garments and white garments and, and the splendor of garments. It, it says, really, what it, what it means is it's, it's, it's about the position we have in the kingdom of God positionally we we've been we've been clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ you know and, and so they're walking around with a position based upon their money and their clothing and he's saying you're naked but i would encourage you i would counsel you to buy white garments to get to get something that's spiritual in nature that determines your position in my kingdom this is what he's saying so you're poor you're naked and then he said you're blind and, and they couldn't see. They couldn't see the reality of what Jesus saw. What they saw was we're doing good, and what Jesus said is, "You're not doing so good. I'm concerned about you spiritually." And this place was a, a medicinal hotspot. People would come from all over the place to buy this eye salve um, to heal blindness and, and uh, problems with eyes. And he says, I, per, I, "I encourage you or counsel you to buy." Salve, this is this is what he said. I don't have it memorized. He says, um, put salve on your eyes so you can see. So you can see. They they thought that they could see, they thought they're they're good, and he's like, you know, um, I, I want you to be able to see the way I see. You know, because here's here's the bottom line of all of this related to Laodicea. Man looks at the outward appearance but God looks at the heart. And what Jesus is exposing is the issues of the heart with these people. Because they were going after all these things that it's easy for us, even in this room, to go after. You know, they were influenced by their culture. They were influenced by the people around them and by the happenings that were going on in the city in which they lived. And wealth was and became a problem for them. That sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? Wealth was a problem for them. And this is what Jesus is addressing. So he goes on in verse 19 and he says this. To those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and I'll eat with that person and they with me. Now, I want to say this, just just touching on the beginning of that verse. He says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So, what he's saying is, when you love someone, when you love someone, you can hate the thing that is destroying them. It's okay to hate the thing that's destroying them. And and it's okay to deal with it or try, find ways to address the thing that is destroying the person that you love. To the degree, you know, he loved them so much that he says, your your lukewarmness is displeasing to me, so much so that I want to just spit you out of my mouth. It's really bad, but I love you. I want you to know I love you, but you're displeasing to me. Your lifestyle uh, the way you represent me, the things that matter most to you uh, are displeasing to me. And, and he goes on to say in this passage here, he says, I rebuke and discipline. Now, most people I know who call themselves Christians think those are dirty words. They don't, they don't want to be rebuked. Stop judging me. You know, they, they don't want to be corrected. They don't want to be challenged. And I would, I would ask this question, what, what or who challenges you? Do you respond to the challenges of the word of God when you're sitting at home reading that thing? Or is it just informational? Is it, is it, is it enriching your knowledge? Is it filling your head with information? Or is it challenging you at the core of who you are? How about the messages you hear? Is it, does it challenge you? I'm not even talking about mine, okay? Because most of you probably would say no or something like that. But I'm talking about the, when, you, when you sit under preaching and you're challenged, do you respond to it? Or do you think they're talking to, you know, the, the preacher or whoever's talking to the person sitting next to you? Boy, I wish you were there at church today. That would have really helped you. You would have loved that message. That thing goes right over your head. Like, no, God was speaking to you. He wanted you to hear that. So, so and then even further, that's, just, that's the word preached. But how about godly people talking to you about your lifestyle? How about spiritual leaders challenging you personally to set aside some things in your life that are holding you back? Like, we do not like we do not like to be disciplined. We don't like that word discipline or rebuke. We don't like it at all. In fact, we, we shy away from it. We, we run from it. We, we hold back when it, when it comes to this. But we need to be people that respond to the word of God. It doesn't matter if it's a little kid reading scripture to you or, you know, talking to you about what they learned in Sunday school. If God's spirit prompts you, it's, it's our responsibility to respond to that. You know? It's not, it's not just information. It's alive and it has meaning and purpose for us daily. It, it's, it's called, it's, it's there to change us. So he wanted them to respond, humble themselves, because they were very prideful, these people. We, literal words, we have need of nothing. And we would probably never say that in this room, but sometimes we think it. You know, Sometimes we think, I've got everything I need. I've got my life perfectly arranged and perfectly set. And he says, he says here, I rebuke and discipline those who I love. So be earnest and repent. Or zealous is another word in other translations. Zealously repent. Zealously turn away from the things that you're doing and turn toward God. This is what he's saying to the Laodiceans. He's saying there has to be a change because um, I think the bottom line, the 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 result or actually the cause of lukewarmness is a lack of repentance. You know? We're more quick to point the finger at somebody else. They're the problem. I'm not the problem. It's what you said, or it's in the way you said it. It had nothing to do with me. And, and we're quick to, to point the finger. We're quick to always be right. We have to be right. And that, to me, says that when, when I have to be right, that means that I'm not, I'm not active in repentance. And when we're not active in repentance, we're moving quickly towards lukewarmness. Because it's, it's part of the thing that causes our heart to burn for God. Is to realize how much we need him. They, their position is they didn't need him. I've got everything I need. I've, I've got it good. I'm, I'm okay. I have need of nothing. But repentance stirs and stokes the fires of revival in our hearts. A lack of that just allows things to fester. And cause us to stay in a place of always being right. Always defending ourselves. Always overlooking our own stuff and looking at the stuff of others. And that's not, it's not a healthy place to be. So let's be people of repentance. This is, this is a recurring message. Pretty much every one of these letters has that word repent in it. But he goes on to say a, a very popular verse if you've ever been in a church that did an altar call they a lot of times they use this verse it says here i am i stand at the door and knock and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door i will come in and eat with that person and they with me now what jesus is literally saying is i'm out here i want to come into your church but you're not letting me in Uh, here do do you want me do you want me to come in your church I mean, you're doing church well enough. You, you, you've got the throngs coming. You've got, you got this beautiful place. It's, 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 it's amazing, you know. Um, but do, do you want me there? Do, do you want me there? He says, I'm knocking, and if you hear my voice, you'll let me in. Is there anyone who, who wants me in my church? Is it, this, is, this is what he's saying. He was outside of the Laodicean church. He was outside of it, trying to come in. Anyone. He wasn't saying the whole church has to come to the door. Just anyone. Just let me in. You know, I think of it this way. He could be saying something like this. You look nice. You're comfortable. You're dressed nice. You know, you've got... uh, You've got a lot of things going on in that church related to or surrounded by the wealth that you all live in. You know the opulence. It's I, I when I was thinking of it. You know, like when you when you think of the gated communities. This 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 city was so rich that it, it'd be like the gated communities of our day, like the Beverly Hills, the Malibu's, the Maya, the South Beach in Miami. These these kinds of million dollar communities that people live in and. It, the wealth got to them. It got to their heads, like money replaced Jesus, and, and they didn't even they didn't even have any desire to have him in their church. They so so he's saying, you know, you're, you're keeping me out. Will will you let me? Will you let me in? And I think the problem that they had was these kind of thoughts. You want me to change too much. I'm willing to, you know, give a little bit of my life. But you're, frankly, you're asking too much of me. You're asking me to lay everything down. You're, you're asking me to surrender all. And I'm just not comfortable doing that. I, I can come to church. I can have some relationships. I, I can, you know, I, I can fit this thing into my schedule when it's convenient for me. But like this whole thing, laying my life down, I, it just doesn't work for me. You're, you're asking too much. If you would lighten the expectation, if you, would, if you would change it to fit my lifestyle, you'd see more of me. I'd be more involved. And so, um, you know, they're thinking, we're living our best life now. This is, this is like, it doesn't get any better than this. And Jesus is calling us to surrender and give and serve <coughs> and, and preach the gospel and pray for the sick and, uh, you know, fast. I mean, are you kidding me? This is, this is too much. This is too much. There's churches that allow for that comfortability and make you comfortable in it. But I refuse to be, that one, be like that. We, we just can't be like that. There's, there's too many lost people. There's too many broken people. There's too many people on, on a path to hell. And we're called to make a difference. We've been empowered to make a difference. And so this is Jesus' message to a lukewarm church. And, and he's just saying, you know, will you let me into your life? Will you let me in into your church? Will you let me in because I can... Make a difference. He was standing outside asking to come in. I want to close with a couple thoughts uh, today as we close out this series and this church, Laodicea, because I think in many ways this represents our nation well. It represents the church in America well because we have options, you know? We don't really necessarily have to beg God, and cry out to God, and pursue God hardcore for for healing, because we, we just go to the hospital, you know? We, we've got, we're, we're an extremely rich nation. You know, the poorest of poor in our nation are rich compared to the standards of other nations. We're, we're very rich, and, and, you know, we'll take our small dose of God. Give me, when I go out to the uh, atrium to get a cup of coffee, I'm like, give me a half a cup. We'll take our half a cup of God, you know. Fill me up halfway. Make sure it's not lukewarm. And I'll be good. And and he says, but I have so much more. There's more that, that I have for you. Now, it's easy for us to once again stand off and look at this church and say, wow, they were horrible. You know? they they could have been so they could have made such an impact it 's easy for us to to stand at a distance and look at them and be the kind of people that um, you know even as we hear the message that jesus is, jesus is saying i 'm concerned for you spiritually excuse me <coughs> to 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 judge their their lack of passion and their lack of love and their Their lack of of drive to to be involved in their city. But but for us to do that would make us religious, you know? We'd just be religious people looking at other people and pointing out their problems and not looking at our own. And I believe this is a call to look at ourselves and our lives and say, you know, how much have we crowded Jesus out by our lifestyle? How much have we pushed him aside for the things that matter to us? How much have we, have we told him that, you know, I, I've got this, uh, um, you know, I, I, I've got this taken care of and I don't need you here. How much have we done that? You know, it, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't bother them that people aren't getting reached with the gospel. It doesn't bother them that lives aren't being transformed. It doesn't bother them that, that people are going to hell. It doesn't bother them that the presence of God isn't showing up in their building. It doesn't bother them because they did church today. You know? They did church on Sunday. And I began to think about this. What if we began to look at our lives and ask personally, because every person in this room is differently, what have I allowed, it, allowed in my life to crowd Jesus out? For them, it was wealth. For them, it was... You know, my money can take care of my needs. Jesus doesn't need to. But there's things in our lives, everyone in this room, that we have allowed in our lives, including me, that have have taken space from Jesus in our lives. For some, it's social media, television, um, friends, boyfriend, girlfriend, or the pursuit of such, you know? You know, that I'm so focused, I'm so invested. Some of it, you know, on the surface, it looks healthy, but it's not healthy. And in so doing, pursuing these things or investing our time in these things have crowded Jesus out. And I've got good news for you. We're going to start this year as a church, and I'm asking for 100% participation In a season of prayer and fasting. You might not even know what that means. But ultimately, the bottom line is it's our desire to give Jesus and focus on Jesus for the first 21 days of this year. Well, actually, technically, we're starting on the second because I would never want to take away your New Year's Day party. (laughs) So we're going to start the day after, okay? but well, we're going to go after God. We're going to pray. Now listen, those things that have crowded out Jesus from your life, say you invest six hours a day in television. Say, you know, without fail, there's, you know, just say, okay, a little bit more practical. Two hours a day. What if you took those two hours and began to pursue Jesus every day? For 21 days. I'm not asking forever. But what, what if you began to cut some things out for 21 days, and pursue Jesus with all your heart. I think I think some radical changes would take place in our lives. What if we... Now, some of us can't fast straight through for 21 days, you know, and drink only water. That's like what a biblical fast looks like. There's other fasts, like a Daniel fast. People eat only vegetables, no bread, no meats, just vegetables for 21 days. But some of you, it, it might not might not be food-based. It'll, it'll be, what are you investing your time in? And if you turn that over to invest that in pursuing the face of God, spending time in his word, worshiping him, crying out to him to the, for the things that you have yet to see breakthrough in, I'm telling you, God is going to show up. So what we did, actually Mary Schnur made this amazing 21-day prayer and fasting journal. We have them in the atrium on a table. You're welcome to take one. And for 21 days, these are the topics that we'll be praying for corporately. You are welcome to pray for anything you want personally. But corporately, these are the things we'll be praying for. And then on your seats, you found, you saw this, or next to you, this little card that shows the days that we'll be gathering right here in this room, Tuesday and Thursdays. Um, Every Tuesday and Thursday between the 7th and the 21st we're going to meet in this room and we're going to be seeking the face of God together and we'll culminate it we're starting it off uh we're starting a worship night on Friday and we're ending with a worship night on the 22nd and I challenge every person in this room we we need more of God we need more of what he has for us Uh, We cannot be be lukewarm. We cannot be room temperature and be influenced by the environment around us. We need to let the the embers of God's spirit burn within our heart. Burn within our heart. And today, if you're feeling like, man, that that church describes me, there's, there's a simple remedy to that. Jesus says, Be zealous Be eager to repent I want to invite you to stand to your feet I'm just going to lead us all And maybe this doesn't apply to every person in this room But I want to help you I I want you to know that repentance is powerful The word of God says If we confess our sins to God He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins And cleanse us Purify us from all unrighteousness And we want to kick off this year Powerfully Powerfully pursuing God and watch what he does. So I wanna just lead us in a prayer and then I'll close, amen? Let's pray together. Father, today, we thank you, God, that we can glean wisdom, we can glean understanding, but also we can hear your spirit speaking to us. God, we don't wanna be a church, we don't wanna be individuals that you would say, I'm gonna spit you out of my mouth. God, we wanna be people that know you. We don't want to take you for granted. We don't want to be casual about our life and walk with you. God, call us higher. Call us deeper in you. And so today, Father, Lord, we we confess, Lord, we confess, Father, that there are things that have gotten in the way of our relationship with you. Father, we've let things crowd out your presence time with you, things that matter to us, Father, things that are meaningless, things that will yield nothing for us or anyone else, we've given over to them, God, and sacrificed um, our relationship with you, God. And so today, God, we turn away from that. We repent. God, we ask for forgiveness. We ask for, Lord, the blood of Jesus to make us whole, to, to purify us, God, today. And God, I pray that you would burn in every heart in this room, God, that we would go after you, God. We'd go after you. We ask you to show up. We ask you to meet with us. We ask for fresh revelation. We ask for dreams and visions, God. We ask for miraculous breakthrough. We ask for healing, God. We ask for, Father God, freedom to, at new levels, God. We ask for you to do amazing things, God. And so we, we commit this year to you. We commit our lives to you and we say, have your way in the mighty name of Jesus. I want to invite the ministry workers to come up. If you have prayer needs of any kind, um, I want to encourage you to come and receive prayer. Otherwise, God bless you. We love you and happy new year.